Let me welcome our brother, Reverend Roland Barnes, uh, to the lectern to open up the scriptures to us and to speak to us this afternoon. Uh, For those of you who don't know uh, Roland, Roland has been a a pastor for many decades, intimately involved in the work of Peru Mission for 23 years, 24 years, uh, and we are glad to have him here with us this afternoon. Thank Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. It's nice to be among friends. A small, not adversarial group is a good way to start. Plus, most of you look like you're about my age uh, or older, <laughs> some, some younger. <clears throat> so I feel right at home here. Um, it's a great blessing to be with y'all. We have, uh, or I have connections to this church that go back even to my uh, younger brother who did his internship and in, in, um, residency in pediatric orthopedics here in Greenville and was a member of this church in the early 80s when Paul Settle was the pastor. In fact, I baptized uh, one of my nieces here at this church way back then. Of course, I've known your pastor for some time, think highly of him. Um, I've been on a a couple of short-term mission trips uh, to Peru with people from this church. In fact, I took my granddaughter one time uh, to tag along with a team from here. And uh, then, of course, uh, Jeff Went was on staff with us before you stole him back from us Uh, but the lord knew what he was doing by moving him back up here and his providence and putting me in a good place where y'all could care for him um, after his situation i have to admit that's one of the greatest mysteries of providence i've had to deal with uh, why the lord would silence jeff went i don't know i can think of a thousand pastors i'd like to silence (laughs) but jeff went was not on the list But it must be that our God, through his great mystery of providence, will bring more glory uh, to himself and do more good through Jeff Wentz's silence than if he were preaching. I believe that's true. That's the mystery of God's providence. We thank God for that. So I have many connections here, so I was really happy to be able to come here. And then, of course, of late, uh, working with Peru uh, Mission, particularly with Alonzo Ramirez and the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Peru, to try to think in the ahead, ahead about what will happen in the years and decades to come as some of us, us older men uh, pass by the wayside and other men stand in our place to carry forth. So we were thinking about what could we do to prepare for that, and we started thinking about Um, who could we put in the wings as someone prepared to step into a similar role as Alonzo has been filling for the last couple of decades in Peru. And um, the Lord led us to to Jose Barriga. We're happy that y'all have embraced them. Uh, He and his wife, Yesenia, and uh, he's made it through one semester. He's got uh, about three, almost four years more to go. Uh, but we thank God for your your participation with uh, that effort uh, and pray that it would continue to be richly blessed. I wanted to just um, share with you in just a few brief moments some of my thoughts <clears throat> from God's Word about motivation. Uh, what motivates us to be involved in, in um, anything for that matter, but in missions in particular, um, I came across a story about um, a dental office uh, where one patient was always late and a constant source of aggravation uh, to the dentist and all the staff there. And so once when he was 
uh, called to confirm his appointment, he said, well, I'm coming, but I'll be about 15 minutes late. That won't be a problem with it, uh, will it? And they said, no, we just won't have time to give you any anesthetic. <laughs> and so he arrived early. <clears throat> so there are all kinds of motivations, of course, um, that move us to do various things. The question I'm sort of considering, I think about it in my own life, what, what is at the heart of missions? What would motivate someone or motivate a church uh, to engage in missions or to do things like uh, short-term missions projects, um, to take trips, do all that um, logistical effort and everything else to make it work out. So I want to look at a couple of passages from the Gospels uh, where I think Jesus addresses this question of, of what should motivate us. And I'm not saying that these things are the only motivations. I think their motivation is multifaceted. Uh, but at least these things should be there, I think, at the heart. So the first passage I want to read to you is Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. And this is Jesus uh, calling Matthew, who, of course, was a tax collector, uh, to follow him. So I'll read verses 13 to 17 of Mark chapter 2. Mark 2, 13 to 17. And when he went out by the seashore and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them, and he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting on the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that, it, uh, that uh, he was reclining at the table in his house. And many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes and Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to him, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the other uh, passage I'd like for you to to look at as we think about what motivates us <clears throat> to engage in missions is Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 to 38. Uh, this is um, Jesus looking at the people and seeing them uh, as they truly are, not just as they present themselves to us, but as they really are spiritually. Uh, Matthew 9 35 to 38. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So we think about the world that we are living in. You know, the Lord uh, took us out of the world. Uh, we're not a part of this fallen world anymore. We've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son 
but he's left us in this world and sent us back to this world that we might have an impact on this world. What moves us to do that? Well, the world is still full of sinners, and the world is still populated by spiritually sick people who are, as Jesus saw them, uh, distressed and dispirited. And, of course, the nation of Peru is no different than any other nation on the face of the earth. It is full of sinners, full of people who are in spiritual darkness, full of people who are spiritually sick, people who are distressed and dispirited. Now, the latest stats tell us that about uh, somewhere around 95% of the people in this uh, nation of Peru would call themselves Christians of some sort or another. Uh, some have reduced that down to 75% lately uh, because of the increasing secularization that's sweeping over uh, the Western world and having an impact in South America as well. Probably 60% plus, 60 to 80% of the people of Peru are Roman Catholics by profession. Somewhere between 11 to 14% would say that they are Protestant. That's up from about 40 years ago where it might have been around 3 or 4%. But 4% don't profess to believe anything in uh, Peru. And 25%, uh, most people would say, are Christo-pagan. In other words, they're some kind of mixture of the pagan religions of ancient Peru and South America, the Incans and others, because there were literally hundreds of Indian tribes uh, that were underneath the oppression and... Uh, control of the Incas, but they mixed together in some way uh, these ancient pagan uh, views and religions with uh, the Roman Catholic religion. So there, are, there is much confusion, much darkness, much misunderstanding in the minds of uh, the people who live in Peru. Now in Matthew 28, Jesus took his disciples, we're told that Jesus said to his disciples, that uh, before he was crucified, that uh, after he's raised from the dead, he would meet them uh, on a mountain in Galilee. We don't know exactly where that is. Tradition tells us it was Mount Arbel, which is about 11 miles to the west of the Sea of Galilee and uh, some uh, 1,250 feet above uh, the level of uh, the Galilean Sea. When Jesus took his disciples up on that mountain and gave them the great commission to go and baptize, disciple, and teach the nations all things I've commanded, uh, they could see north, south, east, and west without any visual obstruction. That's the highest mountain around. That's probably why most people believe uh, that's where Jesus gave the great commission. They could look north without obstruction, east and west, and also south. Now, they could look north... But as far as they could look, they couldn't see as far as England. Maybe they could see on a clear day. Some people think you can look from, uh, from uh, the mountains at Unicoi Gap in North Georgia all the way to the south and see Stone Mountain on a clear day, about 100 miles away. Maybe they could see that far. They could look as far as they could to the west, but they could not see, even on the clearest day, as far as Spain much less all the way west 
to the South American continent. In fact, they didn't even know that the South American continent existed. They could not see it or even imagine the South American continent with whole um, tribes of peoples and even civilizations there. What would motivate them to want to travel to the world's unknown to preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? What would motivate you to cross the street, much less an ocean, to talk to someone about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? And of course, in a place like Peru, there is great need for those who would go there and to proclaim uh, the pure, clear gospel of grace that comes out of the Protestant Reformation. Very few are, are doing that at all. So what is at the heart of a man or a woman or a church that truly owns the mission of Christ? It is not fame or fortune. It is the heartfelt mercy and compassion uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are many motivations, of course, that um, sometimes might be used to get people to engage in the mission of Jesus. Uh, many and varied motives that compel a man or a woman or a church to own the mission of Christ. Some of them are legitimate and some are not. Uh, there is sometimes guilt. Sometimes we are guilted into engaging in the mission of our Lord Jesus. Sometimes um, it's fear. Uh, sometimes it's the hope of praise or notoriety to be famous. Sometimes it's pleasure to discover new de delights and indulge uh, oneself in those delights. Oftentimes, the, the push of the gospel almost incidentally throughout the world has come as a result of plunder. The motivation has been gold and silver. After Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission, the continents of North and Central and South America remained in a deep black spiritual darkness for 1,500 years. For 1,500 years, North America, Central America, South America, where is located Peru, remained in a deep black spiritual darkness and no one brought the gospel to them. In the province of God, uh, they were, in our opinion, perhaps from our perspective, overlooked. When finally, after 1,500 years, a semblance of the gospel was carried across the Atlantic Ocean by the Spanish conquistadors. And the motivations were often ignoble. The conquistadors, especially Cortes and Pizarro, were to a large extent moved to venture the dangers of crossing the Atlantic Ocean by the promise of wealth, of gold. If you can imagine it, to get in a boat, I guess you could call it a boat, they called them a ship, 100 feet long, 40 feet wide, bobbing like a cork in the great vast ocean of the Atlantic, not knowing exactly where they were going, at least that um, Columbus didn't. What drove them to do it? To a great extent, it was not noble, not because they had great compassion for lost people, although they did carry with them priests, and they talked about el ministerio del Evangelio a los indios, 
the ministry of the gospel to the Indians. And there is a museum in Segovia uh, in southern Spain, uh, the Museum of the Indians, that has all the chronicles written down about what they experienced as they came into Central and South America. But for the most part, a lot of what motivated them was the pursuit of wealth. In fact, one of the people, uh, an, uh, an Aztec's negotiator with whom Cortez was negotiating, uh, was asked these questions by Cortez. It says in, in, a, in a book called Los Conquistadores, about the conquistadors, uh, this writer records, Cortez could not, of course, let such a momentous meeting end without asking if they had more gold. It is good for a bad heart, said the supreme ironist. This is what Cortez says. You see, my men suffer from a disease of the heart which can only be assuaged by gold. The negotiator replied that they did have more, lots of it. It was, to say the least, a dangerous admission. They go on to write, the Spaniards appeared to be delighted. They seized upon the gold like monkeys. Their faces flushed, for clearly their thirst for gold was insatiable. They starved for it. They lusted for it. They wanted to stuff themselves with it as if they were pigs. They went about fingering the streamers of gold, passing them back and forth, grabbing them one to the other, bubbling, talking gibberish among themselves. How much gold do you think did they send back to Spain? By 1560, the conquistadors had shipped over 100 tons of gold back to Spain, in effect more than doubling the quantity of the precious metal now in Europe. Most lost their lives as a result of their incessant search for gold. At one point, Pizarro, who conquered the Incans in Peru, was in Panama. And he was trying to get people to go with him to the south to find gold in Panama. And he draw, drew a line in the sand before his men and says to them, There lies Peru with its riches. Here, Panama and its poverty. Choose each man what best becomes a brave Castilian. For my part, I go to the south. And he had 13 men who joined him. When he got there to the city of Cajamaca, which is where Alonso Ramirez lives, there in the square, you've been there, um, he uh, asked for Atahualpa, the Inca, to come from the Inca Baths some uh, distance away. Atahualpa came the next day with about 30,000 men and met uh, Pizarro in the square. Pizarro only had about 200 and something men, but they... Nevertheless, in the province of God, conquered them. That's another story. But he took Atahualpa um, captive and offered to set him free for a ransom price. What was it? It was to fill the ransom room there right off the, the square uh, in, the, in, um, in downtown Cajamaca with gold and silver. He says, from all these places, Atahualpa's governors obeyed his wishes and dispatched the gold to Cajamaca, seven tons of it, along with 13 tons of silver. Most of it melted down into ingots on the spot. 
Now, sadly, you know, in our day, we have our Pissarros and Cortezes as well, do we not? Uh, they are on the TV asking you for money. There are many who are engaged in some kind of ministry here in these United States as well as in the world uh, for the same reasons, the same motivations, the same malignant motive is at the heart of their endeavors. It has ever been a problem. That's why we're told in the scriptures, Titus 1, one of the qualifications of an elder is that he is not fond of sordid gain. But what is at the heart of a man, a woman, or a church that truly owns the mission of Christ? Is it not heartfelt, mercy-filled compassion? Seeing the people, he felt compassion. That, that word is the word we get the word spleen from. It means moved in your gut. He was moved. He felt compassion for them, for they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. When Hudson Taylor was director of the China Inland Mission, he often interviewed candidates for the mission field. On one occasion, he met with a group of applicants to determine their motivations for service. And why did you wish to go as a foreign missionary? He asked one. I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Others gave different answers. Then Hudson Taylor said, all of these motives are good, however good. He said they will fail you in times of testing, trials, tribulations, and possible death. He said, there is one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, namely the love of Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. A missionary in Africa would once ask if he really liked what he was doing. His response was shocking. Do I like this work? He said, no. My wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonable, refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse. But as a man to do nothing for Christ, he does not like. God pity him, if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go. Love constrains us. So what is missions? Missions could be defined this way. A heart into which the compassion of Jesus has been poured, overflowing with compassion for those who do not know it. Have you experienced the compassion of Jesus yourself, personally, individually, do you know what it means to have your sins forgiven, your guilt removed? Do you know what it is to no longer have a um, listless, purposeless life and now to have some focus in your life because you've come to know the living God? 
Do you know what it is to have been reconciled to God, no longer an enemy, no longer alienated from him? Do you know what it is to have the ability because of the Prince of Peace to resolve your conflicts because your conflict with Almighty God has been resolved by the grace of God in Jesus? Do you know what it is to have the peace of Christ that passes all understanding in the place of the turmoil that characterizes the, the lost soul? Do you know what it is to have the hope of eternal life in new heavens and new earth? That's all because of the compassion of Jesus. And so missions is really the spontaneous result of a heart into which the compassion of Jesus has been poured, overflowing into the lives of others, whether it be here or around the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us with an everlasting love. And surely if our hearts grow cold toward your love for us personally and individually, our hearts will grow cold toward the world to which we are to bear witness as well. So we pray, Father, stir our hearts again to know the compassion of Jesus, that we might show that compassion to here in our neighborhoods and around the world. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.